Are you looking for the best tips and tricks to run a successful dental practice? You're in the right place. Welcome to Bulletproof Dental Practice, interviewing some of today's most successful dentists with your hosts, Dr. Peter Bolden and Dr. Craig Spodak. Okay, everybody, welcome back to another edition of the Bulletproof Dental Practice podcast. I'm your host, Solo, again, Dr. Peter Bolden, and I'm Solo simply because Craig is dealing with some of the aftermath of Irma in South Florida, and he is all good, but obviously he's dealing with no electricity and just, you know, craziness all around his practice and his home. So I wish him a, a speedy recovery, him and the city, speedy recovery. Today we have uh, David Harris on, on the line and, uh, or on the video. It's a rare treat. David, we don't always do video, so it's a rare treat that uh, we've got you on video today. And uh, let me give you a little background around, about David. And David is, the, uh, is the, the CEO of a company called Prosperident. And David founded that company that became Prosperident in 1989 and built, in, built it into the world's largest firm specializing in the investigation of financial crimes committed against dentists. Prosperident's team of specialized investigators is, is consulted on hundreds and frauds annually committed against both general dentists and specialists alike. And David is a certified, uh, certified fraud examiner and licensed private investigator. He's got a graduate degree from, uh, in applied mathematics, and he's also a CPA. And he's been interviewed by every leading de dental publication, it seems. He's a prolific writer, author of more than a dozen articles. Obviously, David, your accolades go on and on. This is, this is your lane and this is your niche. So I'm excited to jump into it. And as I alluded to you before we hit record, and as a lot of Pod, a lot of the listeners on the podcast know, um, because I've disclosed this in multiple venues on this podcast and other podcasts, that I had been the victim of embezzlement, um, which once I fall into that circle, it's so funny how many, not funny, I should say, but it's, it's interesting how many people I hear have fallen victim to the same things. Once I'm willing to say like, hey, I was embezzled from and kind of just yeah. own it. Like, it's crazy how many people have pulled me aside and been like, it happened to me too, you know, but, but otherwise it's, it's the, uh, I don't know, the badge of shame somewhat. So David, thanks for coming on the show. I, I appreciate this. And um, I really feel like the, the listeners are going to get a ton of value from it. So let's, let's dive into it. Did I leave anything off of your background or anything that you want to kind of tell in, in terms of your, the whole genesis of how this started? Not really. I got into embezzling. I got into investigating embezzlement totally by accident when I got a call from a guy I'd been in high school with who was now a dentist and he had some concerns about his front desk person. And I ended up going to, over to his office after hours one night and helping him investigate. And then we, she was embezzling. We fired her. And two weeks later, I was in my own dentist's office for an appointment and I realized the same person was working there. I, I, surreptitiously told the dentist about it and he uh, asked me in a panicked voice what he did next and and based on my answer he hired me and that's how I got started no business plan no strong desire to be dealing with dentists for the rest of my life but I'm really happy about how it worked out yeah well it's kind of a you know it's like I said it's and maybe you can give us some numbers on on how many dentists are embezzled from percentage wise because I think it's probably a lot higher than a lot of us would like to admit it certainly is. And the, the short answer is we don't know. Right. And the reason we don't know, Peter, is that some embezzlement happens and never gets detected. Right. 
and then more of it happens and gets kind of swept under a carpet somewhere. And I, you, you, you'd used the words a minute ago, badge of shame, and I want to talk about that in a minute. Um, but there, there's some amount of embezzlement that just does not make its way into our statistics, and that confounds the measurement. What we do know is that at least 60% of your colleagues will be embezzled at some point in their careers. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Then maybe that was the question I was kind of looking for. So 60% will fall victim to this at some point in their career, whether or not they know it or not. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm saying the 60% is what we know. We know about, right. Okay. The real, the real number is higher and I just don't know by how much. Right. Because you, you obviously don't know unless someone's caught or, or acknowledged it. it, it right. It's unquantifiable. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, we can jump into the kind of the badge of shame thing because you know, as dentists, we pride ourselves on it being our world, you know, our practices are our world and like, how could anything bad happen? And we emphatically trust these people to champion the mission that we're on. And then it's almost like, you know, we just, it doesn't even make, make sense on our whole emotional logic that someone could actually steal from us. Um, I know that's kind of how, how I felt. Can you go into, and I know you, you indicated that you don't want to talk about the methodology of how someone could do the, you know, the binary functions of actually embezzling, right? But but, you know, I want to give, make sure that people, I want to have a conversation so that people can audit where they are in their process and just making sure that their house is strong because, you know, I felt my house was solid and, and obviously, like I said, things happen. So, if we could kind of jump into some of the, the, the tips and tricks that you kind of lecture on, um, I think that would be great. Why don't we start by talking about why people steal? Because okay. understanding that is, is, is going to, well, yes, but, <laughs> but it's a little deeper than that. Okay. Um, understanding that is going to help your audience profile an embezzler. Okay. And this, is, this is really an exercise in profiling. So people steal for two reasons. One is need, which means that there's something going on in their life that's creating a financial imbalance and there's more money going out each month than is coming in and they're stealing to buy groceries. Mm-hmm. So it could be a compulsion like gambling or, or drug addiction or something like that. Or it could be as basic as somebody going through a divorce and finding out that where they used to have two incomes in one household, now they have two incomes in two households and a lot of attorney bills. And the ends don't meet anymore. Mm-hmm. So we've got the needy thief. The other one, and the one who in my mind is far more dangerous to your practice, is the greedy thief. And this is a little bit different. This person isn't stealing because they have a financial issue. They're stealing to scratch an emotional itch. And a lot of them, I think, feel underappreciated by the dentist. And they look at you as more or less a high-functioning moron with good hands. And they think that the only reason that you're successful is because they keep your chair busy Mm -hmm. and they collect money from the people on the way out the door. So it's an entitlement almost thing? It it is. Absolutely an entitlement issue. One of our alumni, as we ironically refer to them, was stealing. And then she won $3 million in the state lottery. But here's the neat part. After she won the $3 million, the amount she was stealing each month went up. Whoa, whoa. She was embezzling, then won the lottery, and then continued to embezzle? Not only didn't she quit her job, which a lot of lotto winners would do, she didn't quit her job but she increased the monthly amount she was stealing. So clearly for her, it was not about money. It was, I am owed this. I am entitled to this. I deserve this. And a lot of embezzlers 
have that kind of feeling. I mean, the, the way one person put it, and I thought this was pretty enlightening, said, it was like they were waiting for me to come back to them and say, Susie, I've been really stupid. I'm going to double your salary starting tomorrow. And I'm going to give you 30% of the practice. Like some of these people for a while actually think that this is going to happen. Mm -hmm. And one day they realize that that's never going to happen. And that what they have to look forward to for the rest of their career is, you know, two and a half percent for cost of living or something like that. And the morning after they realize that they come in and steal. And I don't know in your case, if where, where somebody fell in this continuum, but a lot of the big thefts are done by somebody who really feels like they're a co-owner with you, except you refuse to recognize it. So, okay. So a lot of it stems from an entitlement and it sounds like a lack of appreciation. So, you know, do some of that people just, you feel like they're striving just to be acknowledged for what they have done maybe in certain sense? This, yes, this is a, this is a way of proving a point of, wow. of showing you maybe tacitly that I'm really smarter than you are, doctor. Right. Watch me get away with this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and let's assume, Peter, that if you're a dentist, you're a smart person, you're an educated person, mm-hmm. and it's tempting for you to assume that you are smarter and, and more worldly than most of your staff. And let's, let's agree to that. Okay. But while you are busy saving the world's teeth, they're spending a lot of time thinking about how do I separate Dr. Bolden from his money? Mm-hmm. And they devote a lot more time and a lot more energy to that activity than you spend thinking about how to defend against it. And that makes this a very unequal battle and not in your favor. Yes. I, I, like, uh, unfortunately, I, I know. Okay. So that we've gone over kind of why, I guess you, those are the two kind of buckets that people fall into, either the greedy bucket or the entitled, unappreciated bucket. And these people behave a little bit differently from each other. Um, but there are certainly a lot of commonalities. Uh, let me give you some. Okay. Um, one, of the, one of the truisms of embezzlement is that thieves want to be alone when they steal. They, they what? I'm sorry, say that again? They want, they want to be alone in the office. They don't okay. want the possibility that they're doing their thing and you come around the corner and look over their shoulder and say, Mary, what are you doing? Okay. So they will come in early or they will stay late or they will come in on Saturday. But typically they want alone time. Okay. And obviously some parts of the stealing have to be done when people are in the office, but other parts, and, and, and I'm really thinking mostly about what I'll call uh, the concealment. This is where somebody's trying to hide the fact that they're stealing. Typically that will be conducted when nobody else is around. So one of the first tips I'm going to give your audience is they need to know about that. Okay. And I'm assuming that most of your audience have offices that have alarm systems. And in 2017, it's very easy to, to ask the alarm company once a month to send you an access log. So take a few minutes and have a look at it and see if people are coming and going at weird times. And if they are, it doesn't mean they're stealing, but it's a danger sign. Okay. okay. And you know, if, if, if we hit any of the uh, behaviors that, that your embezzler manifested, this is a, a pretty good time to tell us about it. The second thing I'll say it continues to surprise me how little familiarity most dentists have with the practice management software that is such a, a core of their operations. Mm-hmm. I think there's, a, there's a, probably a significant subset of your audience who really wish that 
they can make it through their whole careers without ever learning how to do some basic stuff in their software. Sure. And that creates a danger. Um, so the second piece of advice I'm going to give your audience is there are some reports that you look at every day and every month. Those reports should really be ones that you print yourself. As soon as you allow somebody else to print reports and they're the ones that you rely on, mm-hmm. what you're creating is the possibility for selective reporting. In other words, that you think you're looking at the entire practice when in fact you're not. Okay. And, well, and the, the last phone call I had before I, before I came on with you was a, from uh, the spouse of a dentist who was seeing exactly that. She, she suddenly had the realization that what she was looking at was not the whole story. And the enabling mechanism was allowing the person who could be stealing to print the reports. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, and you know, and I guess, I guess, obviously, all reports can be manipulated, but you would think that there would be safeguards in the software. But yeah, I mean, I'm kind of talking out loud, unfortunately, right now. But you would I think can, there would be. I can, I can see the gears grinding here. <laughs> um, okay. It all is, right. It is human nature to assume that something that is printed and looks official and hard copy must be right. Right. Yes. Um, okay. So, tip tip one would be printing out your own reports so the data cannot be manipulated. Um, oh, the data can still be manipulated, but at least you have a better chance of spotting it mm-hmm. when, you, when you print the reports. Okay. And when you delegate that function, what you really are doing is allowing the possibility of data manipulation, which is always going to be there, mm-hmm. and then allowing the ability to conceal it. Okay. Um, is it typically... Who is the pri- who is the role in the office that you typically see the embezzler being? And I don't want to like obviously, you know, cast cast a dark net over one or one role. But is it an office manager? Is it front desk? Is it just ever, anyone who deals with the money in the office? Or is it um, typically the office manager? It is. It is anyone who isn't you. Okay. <laughs> um, the the person with the most opportunity for financial theft is the office manager. Okay. Um, but anybody who's working at the front desk equally has a chance to make a financial theft. Um, you know, it's crazy. And I don't mean to cut you off though, David, but you know, you think we think of, you know, obviously we don't deal in such a cash world anymore. And, and to my, obviously I'll fall on the sword to my, I just figured, you know, it's like, Hey, how can you, it's a credit card that we're not dealing with cash. No one can pocket money. Like, a reconciliation is a reconciliation. You know, these are all my dumb ass assumptions, unfortunately. And so that, obviously I don't think that way anymore, but you would think that, you know, the day and age of credit cards and stuff like that, like you can't, you can't intercept that, right? But you forget about the checks and stuff like that. Um, so anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off, but that's, well, that was kind of what's on my mind. You're right where I'm going. Okay. Um, takeaway number three from, from today is that any form of wealth transfer to you can be intercepted. Cash, check, credit card, what's called an ACH, which is an automated clearinghouse payment. So this is when, when money arrives directly in your bank account. Any of those things can be intercepted. So when I talk to dentists about embezzlement, what's in their mind is theft of cash. Right. Okay. And let's not take me out of context here. Thieves will happily steal your cash, but it doesn't stop there. Okay. As I say, cash, check, credit card, ACH, are all vulnerable, and it doesn't even stop there. To put a point on it, have you ever looked on eBay for um, dental equipment? I have. Okay, and there's a lot of it there. Some of it is 
still in the packages. Uh-huh. And a lot of it is for sale for kind of two thirds of what the, what the dental supply companies would sell it for. Right. Did you ever ask yourself, Peter, where well, that stuff how came is that from? Possible? I think I've bought a lot of that. I'm just kidding. I don't I mean, but no, I never stopped to ask like, well, how is that the case? How would, how is that a better price than what my, my supplier can give? I am, I am sure that some of it has fallen off the truck, so to speak, between wherever it's made and, and here. Mm-hmm. And I suspect that some of it has been sold to a dentist uh, and then resold without him or her knowing about that. Yep. I, yeah, I could absolutely see that being the case. And yeah, there is a lot of dental stuff on eBay. Let's, let's think of something little and you know relatively easy to take out of an office, but hand pieces with, with some value, hand pieces, rotary endophiles. Wow. Yeah. You know, when, when, when you buy stuff on eBay, I think you should spend a minute or two thinking about where this stuff may have come from. Um, because okay. So it's not just, you know, I, I guess that opens up our, our eyes a little bit, or at least it does mine, that, you know, that theft can take place in value of, of across the board, whether it's cash, whether it's credit cards, whether it's equipment, whether it's supply, you know, all sorts of things. It can, t- you know, it can- All theft- of those things. And, and, and let me toss out one more, theft of time. Yes. Um, of social media and Facebook, you mean? Yeah. Or, <laughs> you know, who, who knows what, but yeah, staff who are being paid by you and doing something other than working for you yeah. at the time. Yeah. So let's let's include that in the in the broader picture of of embezzlement as well. Yeah, I would assume that that would be, um, and I think that's kind of systemic in in practices because I think when when at least from my observation, and I'm not not mine, of course, right? But I mean, when but I do see that all the time, and it's our generation. It's like we we've been brainwashed to think that anytime we have downtime it's immediately go to our phones, you know, and that's just kind of what people do. Like, Oh, I've got some downtime, you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to throw out the millennial generation word, but obviously they are more attached to their phone than any generation ever has because the technology has advanced. You know, I always tell people, I think it's interesting not to talk about phones, but walk through an airport next time you're in an airport and just like literally like scan the crowd as you're walking to your terminal. And there isn't one dang head looking up. Like people are into their phones, like, it, it's crazy. They're not even looking at the computer screens or CNN on their, uh, I mean, they are on their phone. So yes, I guess theft, theft of time can be, um, we can thank, we can thank Apple for that. Well, we can. And, and I'll confess that I spend a lot of time in airports and uh, I'm on my phone too. But when I'm on my phone, I'm not stealing time. I'm doing the opposite. I'm right. preventing the airline from stealing it from my business. Right. And, and more than likely, I'm you're doing business. You're conducting business. My point was, people are look, using it for entertainment. You know, it, it, and and they're just it's habitual almost, right? When we have downtime, like, how do I can you know? Oh, cool. You know, so five minutes here, five minutes there in an office. You know, it's no quote unquote no big deal. But the aggregate of all of this, you know, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of time, right? Um, okay, so so yeah, you've pointed out two things of of theft that are super eye-opening to me already, you know, because I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have number one thought about the supplies being sold. And number two, I didn't really think about the theft of time. And what I'll say is if, if a dentist in your audience wants to talk with me more about, for example, how a thief might steal checks or credit cards, I'm, I'm happy to have that conversation. I don't want to put that information out for everybody because there's always the possibility that someone using that for wrong. Some, somebody's trying to, gather tidbits from this conversation and I'm just reluctant to give them, but 
I'm, I'm, I'm create happy. their own strategy to help them yeah. steal, right? And I, and I appreciate you doing that. So other than, other than the, the tips that you've already given us, is there ways we can kind of assess where we are in terms of just auditing or is there something, is there a common thread that you see in your previous experience? Does something always occur? I'm trying to set this up for, for people just to like to look at the low hanging fruit first. And if they're suspecting yeah. something there, then contact you is what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to get at. Absolutely. And the thing that people perhaps don't understand about embezzlement that would make their life a lot easier is this. Most of the embezzlement that's detected in dental offices is found not by auditing, but by watching employee behavior. There are a lot of ways to steal from you. And and honestly, most dentists are, are poorly equipped, um, both by temperament and knowledge, to find stuff through that audit process. Uh, what I'm what I'm trying to say in a nice way is that most of you are almost genetically incapable of thinking like a criminal, mm-hmm. and I don't think anybody should feel bad about that. You know, that's not right. That's not it could really, be worse things to be called. It, it, it's not really a character flaw. I, I I look at most of you guys as as a group of really smart altruists who, if your accountants would let you, would do dentistry for free. Yeah, and and that just does not equip you well to replicate the criminal thought process. Yeah. So, um, okay. Auditing is uh, particularly if you don't really know what you're doing, is time intensive and frustrating as anything I could imagine. Um, the easier way is to get better at looking at your staff and trying to figure out if they're acting like they're stealing. Right. Some of these things are obvious. You know, we we can probably identify employees with money problems, which absolutely does not mean by itself that they're stealing, but it it creates a pressure on them that may make it easier for them to steal. Mm-hmm. We look at employees with compulsive behaviors, and I mentioned those before. We look at the staff member who's never sick, who never takes vacation. Mm-hmm. I've heard that one. Because sure. a, a lot of embezzlement requires control of the flow of information in an office, and you can only do that if you're there. We look at the staff member who is inordinately resistant to change. The person who's territorial, who doesn't want to cross-train anybody else to do their job, doesn't want to give up any part of their duties to somebody else. Resistance to outside advisors. The single biggest threat you can imagine to an embezzler is a practice management consultant. You know, somebody who spends all day thinking about the business of dentistry is a huge threat. Embezzlers know they can fool you. That's not a challenge for most of them. Mm -hmm. But a consultant scares the bejesus out of them. So when you talk to your staff about, I'm going to bring in a consultant and you have somebody who's sitting there like this and dead set against it, again, it doesn't mean they're stealing, but it's certainly a warning sign. Some stuff's a little more subtle. One thing that a lot of embezzlers push back against is upgrading your practice management software to a newer version. From the perspective of the embezzler, whatever they're doing works in EagleSoft Uh, 17. They don't know what's in 18 and they don't know if it's going to shut them down. So they don't want you to bring in the new, the new version. Okay. Those are the kinds of things that wow. somebody should be looking at. Wow. So it sounds to me like a lot of like, you know, sometimes I give analogies with like flying a plane. I don't know why I think that dentistry and flying planes are very similar because my father was an airline pilot and I just draw these weird parallels sometimes. But 
you know, when you fly a plane or you're learning how to fly a plane, they tell, they tell you, you know, there's so many checklists and things you're looking at and so many instruments you're looking at and playing with and all these toys, especially the current airplanes, right? You know, I was a private, pi- private pilot. So you're looking down and it's, you know, all these cool toys to play with and these cool, you know, iPads in your, in your cockpit. And the instructor will basically say, get your head up. Like, be, you need to be situationally aware yeah. of planes that are flying around you, right? And so here's another analogy where, you know, I could have been more, you know, and probably a lot of us could have been get our heads up out of the out of the operatory, metaphorically speaking, and become more situationally aware of what's going on in the practice. Yeah, I think that is good advice, either in the cockpit, just life or, in general, too, <laughs> or here here in dentistry. Yeah, and you know, one of the one of the issues with practice management software is the volume of information that it contains is prodigious. Um, and, and, and I was in this game back in the old pegboard days. That, that's mm-hmm. when I started. And the thing about pegboard is it's, it's interesting. I was doing a presentation a week ago and one of the dentists was kind of waxing sentimental about pegboard because he said in those days, even the least business aware dentist could look at the, at, at, at the old pegboard stuff and have a pretty good idea of what was going on in, in his or her practice. As soon as dentists computerized, what they did conceptually was take several steps back from the information. And mm-hmm. now they're relying on reports as opposed to actual transactions. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's, it's a different world and, and, and one where it's a lot more complicated. So you're absolutely right. You know, if you, if, if, what a lot of dentists do if they have some embezzlement concerns is they, they start printing reports and they start trying to go through them and understand them. And it's a huge it's a hugely challenging process unless you have a lot of expertise in that area, which honestly, most dentists weren't born with. Right. Unless you know what you're looking for, it's, you know, you're looking for that needle in the haystack that's going to make like, aha, I found it. And you're right. And probably us to a fault think, Hey, I'm pretty intelligent. I can figure this out. Right. And so, but we're not, we don't know what we don't know. And therefore it's hard to, hard to spot. Well, and not just that it's the needle in a haystack. Absolutely. But it's the needle in a moving haystack. Yeah. I mean, the haystack won't stand still for you. And, you know, you're doing this in evenings and weekends. And then while you're in practicing dentistry, everything changes. Um, so it's a, it's a very challenging process. Um, there, there was a study that the American Dental Association did in about a decade ago, but it, it, it's still very applicable. What the ADA did was ask embezzlement victims, what tipped you off? What let you realize that you have a problem? And they came up with a whole list of answers. And what I did a few years ago was I, I, I thought there might be a little bit more information than, than what the ADA had come up with. And so what I, what I did was I clustered the responses into two categories, being financial indicators of embezzlement or behavioral indicators. And I, I looked at those and what came out was that less than a third of embezzlement was discovered because of some kind of financial anomaly. So this might be the day sheet not balancing to the bank deposit. Or mm-hmm. your CPA finding the embezzlement, or something like that, and the behavioral anomalies were the kinds of things I was talking about, like the people who don't want to take vacation, mm-hmm. you know, the people visibly living beyond their means, and things like that. <laughs> Less than a third by financial, sixty-eight percent by behavioral. One of the things I think that's happened here is that I think that there are a lot of well-intentioned people who don't really understand embezzlement all that well, who give you guys advice. Mm-hmm. And a lot of their advice, a lot of their advice involves getting more involved in your numbers. And I'm just not sure it's the most productive thing you can do with your time. 
So, okay. So you're saying that, that, that sometimes the wrong, the wrong answers are trying to be sought because it's just, we don't know what we're looking for, but you're saying other people get involved. Like I'm, I'm confused. Basically, are you saying that maybe our, our in-house, our, our CPA might not know what to look for? That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. Um, All right. I was just making sure. <laughs> and, and again, there are a lot of well-intentioned dabblers out there who offer advice to dentists about embezzlement. And unfortunately, I think a lot of it is wrong. Okay. Okay. Um, and there, there's, a, there's a basic disconnect here. One of the things that a lot of dentists and, and, and a lot of their advisors believe is that you can prevent embezzlement if you lock down some of the ways that embezzlers could steal from you. Okay. And I'll, I'll give you an example. I've seen a lot of people say one of the ways to, quote, prevent. And as soon as I see that word, I know that whoever's making the statement doesn't really understand the problem. One of the ways that you can prevent embezzlement is to take the deposit to the bank yourself. Yeah. And again, don't take me out of context. I think that's good advice, but it won't stop embezzlement. If I'm working for you and I, I've already decided that stealing for, from you is what I should do, and my plan is to steal from your bank deposit, but you frustrate me from that by taking the deposit to the bank yourself, does that turn me into an honest person? No, or right. does it simply turn me into an unfulfilled thief who's going to keep looking. Right. Okay. What, what everybody wants to do, Peter, and I think where this comes from is that we, we understand burglary, for example, a lot better than we understand embezzlement. Most dentists have an alarm system on their house, mm-hmm. but the alarm system doesn't prevent crime. It just pushes it off to your neighbor. Yeah. Okay. The difference between embezzlement and burglary is that it's easy for burglars to select a different victim. It's very difficult for embezzlers to do that. What it involves is quitting their job with you and going in and getting hired somewhere else and then investing the time to understand the next dentist well enough to steal from them. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a pretty patient thief who will do that. So yes. for better or for worse, if I'm an embezzler and I work for you, we're stuck with each other. Right. What I have control over is not who my victim is, but my choice of methodology. Okay. So if you, if you think that if we just make it a little bit hard for somebody to steal, they won't try. In this context, that's fallacious. But do you see a correlation with the level of involvement, meaning that, okay, let's say there's a dentist taking his own deposits and like they're, they're actively engaged in the financial process. I mean, is there, you know, does that help at least like, hey, you know, whoever's stealing is looking to be like, well, hey, he's engaged. I, I sure, you know, I sure as heck don't want don't to mess with this guy. Or do you know? It's just, okay. What it does Involvement is absolutely a good thing because it means you will catch them more quickly. Okay. The uninvolved dentist can be stolen from for years and years and not realize it. But the question from the perspective of an embezzler about whether or not I steal from you is pretty much self-absorbed. I spend very little time thinking about you. My decision to steal is based on pressures that I'm under Mm -hmm. and my own ethical threshold. And those two things have very little to do with you. So why do you think that, that it goes unreported a lot, more so than probably any industry that there's theft? Why, why in dentistry is it, you know? You said it a minute ago, okay. badge of shame, or a few minutes ago, badge yeah. of shame. A lot of dentists are embarrassed about this, in my yeah. mind, for no good reason. Right. When I, when I get a call from a dentist and they've been stolen from and now they want my help, one of the first things I say to them is, you know what, you didn't cause this. And I don't care how lax you think you were or how you would do th- how much you think you would do things differently in future mm-hmm. 
neither of those makes stealing okay. So you didn't cause this, and honestly, there's very little you could have done that would have prevented theft. You might have caught it more quickly than you did. Okay, we can we can talk about that if you want, but let's take as a given that you just came up against somebody who had the ability to see what you missed in the practice and took advantage of it. Right. There's no requirement for, for blaming yourself about that. I mean, I think in, you, you alluded to this earlier, you know, that you're, you're, you're taught from day one that you're kind of the captain of the ship and that if it hits the rocks in any way, it's your fault. It's your fault, right. Um, and clinically, I agree with you, but very few dentists who I know got into dentistry out of a really burning desire to be small business owners. Mm-hmm. Um, for most of you, that's just a horrible curse that comes with the good parts of dentistry. Right. It's, uh, you know, it's the, like the e-myth says, it's like dentists are technicians suffering from an entrepreneurial seizure, right? We, we just got in this position. It's like, what the hell? I didn't go to school for this. I wanted to like be an artist and a craft and like a craft, you know, like, and yeah. then it's like, you know, if someone had said like, hey, dentistry is going to be the easy part, ha ha ha, you know, like that would have been, that would have been eye-opening for someone to tell long time ago, but they, 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 right. And then we get so involved in our craft and then growing our business and focusing on patients that unfortunately we only have so much bandwidth. And, and, and I think malicious people recognize that and obviously, uh, you know, look for vulnerabilities and unfortunately that happens. So, you know, the embezzler uh, has all day to sit there and watch you. Right. They understand you really well. They know right. what you look at and what you don't and how you think, they will understand the environment and even manipulate it. Mm -hmm. You know, every embezzler knows what day is the best day to steal, what day of the week. Um, and wow. they will take advantage of that. They okay. know when you're in a good mood and when you're not in a good mood. And again, which of those is better for, for, for embezzlement purposes? They, they also have a lot of time to shape how you think. Can, can you talk about, and can you talk about like checks and balances, you know, because that's how I've kind of going forward had to safeguard my systems and just kind of compartmentalizing things for checks and balances, as opposed to giving one person like autonomous control over a lot of things. Please don't tell me that's not like a good method. <laughs> it, it, it is a, it is a great idea. Okay. But it won't stop a thief. Okay. Well, nothing is going to like, you know, you can't sit there with an ironclad and say, do these things and you will ironclad stop it. Like, there's just no way, you know, like you said before, like thief, a burglary, there's no way you can not prevent a burglary if someone really wants to get into your house. Like, so it's, it could, if someone's, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. I'm saying, how do we build the best alarm system on the, you know, to prevent someone from getting in? How do we build a safe house essentially <laughs> that no one can penetrate? I, I don't think you're going to like the answer. Okay. The answer is to shift your focus from prevention to detection. Prophylactically even? Yeah. There is, okay. there is, there is no prophylactic here. You know, and, and, and but just assume that you're being stolen from. Is that kind of what you're saying? Uh, assume that a smart thief, to use words that Clint Eastwood spoke in a movie once years ago, improvise, adapt, and overcome. You know, we started this conversation by talking about Hurricane Irma and how your partner's not here. Right. And what we have to recognize in, in nature and in embezzlement is there are some forces that are stronger than us. Right. What we need to do sometimes is say, okay, it's time to evacuate. Mm -hmm. It's time to focus on detection rather than holding on to the idea that, you know, by, by willpower and, and checks and balances, 
I can stop this in its tracks. I see. Let, okay. let's, let's pick a specific check and talk about it. One of the things that I hear about a lot in terms of prevention is we need to set up user accounts in our practice management software in a way that will mean that somebody who, for example, somebody who's doing recall doesn't have the ability to make a write-off or an adjustment mm -hmm. to an account. Um, that's the kind of thing that, you know, that's the kind of control that somebody can put in place. But let's talk about that for a minute. If I work for you and I want to steal from you and what's holding me back is that my permissions in the practice management software aren't sufficient to do the stealing I want to do, what do you think my response is? I mean, what do you don't trust me? No, my response, well, I mean, I mean, as the employee, they would think like, why do I not have permissions? And my coworker does would, would well, be. Th that's that, that might be a response. Um, my response would be great. I need to get somebody's password that's right. more capable than mine. That was my second answer. Definitely. It was, I could, I could, I could see it fermenting. <laughs> um, I need to get somebody else's password. Okay. I'm not going to tell you here how to do that, but what I will say is it's pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, if I want your password, Peter, I'll have it. And okay. once, I ha once I have that password, then all of those checks and balances that you've set up just get bypassed. In other yep. words, embezzlers don't feel a huge compulsion to play by your rules. I, I love the dentists who say, well, I get the mail myself. <laughs> and, 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 and I say to them, okay, so that means that you're standing there when the, when, when, the, when the claim the check arrives? Fly? Yeah. Or they say, well, I have the only key to the mailbox. And my response to that is, how do you know? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and they, 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 they sit and think about it for a minute and say, well, I guess I don't. You know? What I say to them is, what you think is that you have the only key or what you think is that you've, nobody's got access to your password. Can we stop on that for a second? Because I want to go back to that check thing. I'm, I'm, I'm depressing the hell out of you. I know. Yeah, no, you're not. You're just like, what, you know, what was exposed to me in this whole process was how I also thought that the bank had my back and holy cow. No, like they will let you cash a check. I just thought like, man, I, you, you think that like literally my money would have been safer under a mattress than the, than the bank holding it because you would think that there's safeguards of your signature and, you know, just like, oh, hey, that wasn't, that check wasn't cashed by you. Therefore, you know, like all these things, you would think that there would be these safeguards in place and you think like these massive institutions have your best interests at heart and it, it didn't at all. And then when I confronted on the, the inadequacies of them, they hid behind some banking rule that I didn't acknowledge them in 30 days and therefore they were off the hook. Yeah, ICC 403. We, uh, yeah, and I said, time. you are kidding me right now. Like this is, that's your response is, is a technicality. So, so that would be my advice to everyone is don't assume that, that the safeguards that you think are in place by a third party institution are adequate because they're literally just hoops to jump through in the volume of stuff that they have to process every day. They, the banks, and for that matter, the insurance companies you deal with have made mm -hmm. a business decision. And the business decision is that the majority of the transactions that pass through them are legitimate. Mm -hmm. And it's not worth their while to scrutinize every transaction for the very few that, that are improper. They just deal with them when they, when they, when they arise. And, and it goes back to what I said a little while ago, that most dentists have no idea how easy it is for staff to cash a check payable to you. 
Well, you've made me realize one thing today. Tomorrow, I'm going to go in and make an announcement that I'm only accepting Bitcoin going forward. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that'll, that'll help you a lot. <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even know, but you're right. You're not depressing me. It's just like sometimes you're like, damn, we can't win for losing. If you think that, that you have sufficient power to dissuade people from stealing from you, you're, you're deluding yourself. Yeah. And, and you're adding complacency to the other problems that you have. Mm -hmm. I love the guys who think they've solved this problem. Right. Because there is no solution. I mean, there is, there's one and only one thing you can do to prevent embezzlement. Do it all yourself. Well, okay. You can put down the handpiece and, and, and become the full-time manager of your practice. That's true. Right. I was, um, right. The, the other opportunity comes when you hire people. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that dentists do terribly is properly background mm -hmm. check the people that they hire. Um, now, I'm not going to put you on the spot, Peter, but um, I would like your audience to think back to the last person they hired, whether it was clinical or administrative, think back to the last person you hired. And I just have one very simple question. Did you check the photo ID of that person before you hired them? And I'm guessing that most of your audience now is saying, well, no. Right. Okay. So your practice is a special place. It's the source of income to you. It's full of cash, protected information, access to narcotics. And even with all that, most of your audience have no sweet clue of the true identity of the last person they hired. And running, running background checks is not commonplace. And not well done. And, yeah. and, and let me give you an example. Uh, I, I have a simple rule about employees. I want to talk to all employers they've had in the last five years. A couple of things that dentists screw up in this. The first is they call phone numbers that the applicant gives them. Okay. So if somebody, if I'm looking at an employee and they say that they worked for Dr. Peter Bolden, what I should do is I should go to Google, which is really cheap to use, and I should look you up and I should find your phone number and that's the number I should call. Not one that the applicant gives me because I may end up talking to their uncle who's using a disposable cell phone and pretending to be the former employer and giving a glowing reference. Wow. Okay. Jeez. Like how simple is that? Yeah. But like not even on, like you say, not even on the altruistic radar of, of us dentists a lot of times. Uh, you don't deal well with people with hidden agendas. Yeah. Okay. Um, Another thing I should do when, I, when I'm talking to former employers is I should ask them for the exact start date and the exact end date for the employee and compare those to the resume because one of the big dangers here is called the hidden job. I work for somebody and I stole from them and I got caught and now I'm applying for a job with you. I do not want you to call them or I won't get the job. So I will stretch other jobs or I'll pretend that I was out of the workforce for a while mm -hmm. or... I will pretend that I'm still working for you even though you fired me last week. And I'll say, please don't call Dr. Bolden because he doesn't know I'm leaving. And most dentists will nod and say, okay, I understand when I need a better plan. Uh, a lot of dentists assume that, quote, background checking is a criminal records check, which is important, but your primary source of information about somebody applying for a job with you has to be the people that they've worked for in the past. Mm -hmm. And everything else you do, you know, drug testing, which doesn't dawn on most dentists to do with applicants and a credit check and things like that. I mean, all that stuff is peripheral. The best information comes from talking with former employers. And the one question I need to ask everybody is, would you rehire this person if you had a job for them and they were available? And the beauty of that question is that anything other than an unequivocal yes 
is a no. Okay, so people assume that background checking is something that we can hand off to some third party somewhere who will tell us whether or not this person's safe to hire when really the, the, the heavy lifting has to be done by the dentist who needs to phone former employers and say, when did they work for you? What was their job title? And would you rehire them if you had the chance? Wow. Okay. Man, I've learned a lot. I really, I really have. And I want to be, oh my gosh, like you really, you opened my eyes to so many things that I'm going to go in and, and put into it. Not that I'm worried about some of the things you just mentioned, but that's going to be going forward. You know, some of the protocols to put in place just to help, you know, just to help uh, maybe nip some of potentially what could be in the butt. That makes any sense, right? Potentially it, just. It, it absolutely does. Um, a statistic that will probably shock many of your audience is that one in four United States adults has a criminal record. 65 million Americans have criminal records. Wow. Wow. If my audience has a time in which, as I say, if they have some questions, what would be the best way to reach out to you? Uh, the easiest way probably is email. And my email is easy to remember. It's david at dental embezzlement and embezzlement needs to be spelled correctly, dot com. Okay. David. Okay. Well, I'm going to put all this in the show notes as well. Okay. Do you offer something to people? Obviously, if, let's say someone calls you and they're like, look, I don't suspect it, but are there things that you can kind of like a quick check that I could hire you to look at? Like, do you offer that kind of service? Um, a, a, a quick check is like the 15 minute root canal. Okay. Um, it, 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 it leaves the minute that came out of my mouth. I was like, you know what? That doesn't really make a whole lot of sense in the context of what we were just saying. So you um, may have to scratch that. I'm just trying to give like yeah. help people lift the hood a little bit so that they, you know, so just talking to you may get may increase engagement and involvement is all I'm just trying to get at. There, there are three things we do. The first offering that we have is something called office protection system, OPS. Mm -hmm. And what we do in OPS is we review your procedures and we make sure that they're as tight as they can be. And it's everything from hiring to what you look at at the end of each day to what the settings are in your computer. And again, we're not under any illusion that we can prevent embezzlement, but we can certainly put you in a much better position to detect it if it's happening. So the first thing we can do is work with you in how your office functions. Um, the other offerings that we have are types of investigation when you either suspect embezzlement or you found it, or even you say, you know, I don't really have any reason to believe I'm at risk, but I see the statistics. So therefore I'm, I, I know I'm at some level of risk. So we have, we have various levels of investigation. We have kind of the light version, which is good for somebody who says, you know, okay. I have a staff member who's acting a little strangely. Can you please let me know if I have a problem to the heavy version, which comes in when somebody catches an employee's hand in the cookie jar. Okay. Okay. Man, David, you really have been, you are really a wealth of knowledge. I mean, obviously we read that in your bio and man, you really have opened my eyes. Even someone who's been post victim of this, you've even opened my eyes to some things that are like, Hmm, I might need to even put some safeguards on these in place. So, um, you know, we have a lot of young listeners on the, on the podcast. Um, and I think this is good to empower them in their, in their young careers to kind of set the right safeguards um, just by listening to experts like yourself going forward. Because, you know, like I said, that, you know, I wish somebody told me that dentistry was the easy part, you know, once you graduate. Um, you know, it's, I didn't tell you, like, hey, you're going to have to run a business. Oh, and people are going to try and steal from you all the time. And it's going to be rampant in your industry, like, you know, all these things. But you've, you've really 
helped a lot of people. I can just kind of foresee that being the case. And, and I hope that um, some of the listeners here actively reach out to you and, and engage your, your services. So I love the, the tips and hints and, and really, you know, the situational awareness and all that. And I think that's a, a, a good, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to keep you and you, cause like I said, you've, you've spent your time here and it's been, it's been truly amazing. I really say that. Well, thank you. Um, love to come back and do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. David, have a great day and we will talk to you later. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Bulletproof Dental Practice with your hosts, Dr. Peter Bolden and Dr. Craig Spodak. Online at BulletproofDentalPractice.com. We'll catch you next time.